Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode four of the Counting Sheep for Baby Sleep podcast. My name is Jane Anderson, and we are joined today by Sterling Galliott. Hey, Sterling, how are you doing? I'm good. Hi, world. <laughs> good, good. It's been a couple weeks since we recorded our last podcast where we talked all about short naps and we dove deep into like the newborn phase. So it feels appropriate for us to talk today about what happens after the newborn phase. So the four-month regression, which tends to be a really, really big topic in our world. Sterling and I are both certified sleep coaches and Sterling is a certified newborn sleep specialist. So for you, you talk a lot about the four-month regression, I imagine. It's a big topic. And of course, they're wondering Wednesday, we would get so many questions. I know, so, so many. And and it's a because so much happens during the four-month stage, right? There's a big change in brain development and just what's going on in the background with our little ones when they go from the newborn stage to the four-month mark. So let's talk just a little bit about like, how how are we going to know when this happens, right? So from the newborn phase, we're very much like, very hands on, very supportive, very comforting, trying to work on some sort of independent sleep habits and introduce like, you know, moving away from sleep props and things like that. But for the most part, we're, we are not thinking about sleep training at all. That's not even in our mindset at that point. When that four month regression hits is when we can start to consider it. So Sterling, for you, what would you how would you know that the four month regression is hit? What kind of signs would you look for? Yeah, well, typically, well, you know, we got a little inside scoop. So it's easier. For us, but you know, uh, most people, you know, they are like, Oh, like, please help. You know, everything was going so great with my little guy or girl, they were good sleepers, they would sleep during the day. And then now they seem fussy. They're not making their wake windows, their naps are shorter, bedtime's harder, there's more night wakings, mornings are earlier, just kind of all of a sudden, everything that was so perfect about their teeny tiny newborn is like shook <laughs> yeah That's really typically. Hard all of a sudden. just like a sudden change very and I, I think the biggest one we notice well for me in my experience is fussiness just like overall increased like fussiness with like temperament mm-hmm. around sleep like their attitude is shifting with it too so you know, most people are like, you know, what's happening? They just don't seem very happy. <laughs> My baby doesn't seem happy or yeah. sleeping. <laughs> exactly. And it, it might be during awake time that they seem grumpier, but particularly, like you said, when it comes to sleep, it's just all of a sudden they're not as accepting, right? Yeah. And it, it might just get a lot more difficult to get them down or length of sleep is drastically sh- it's shortened, right? And it just feels like, why? Well, I'm not doing anything differently. <laughs> so why is this happening? Yeah. And that's because it's all in the background. It's things that we have generally no control over, right? It's just this sudden change. And for them, I mean, I think from my perspective, I feel like the biggest or one of the biggest contributing factors to this is that as newborns, they only have three sleep cycles, right? They go right into a deep sleep and they stay there. So that's Mm -hmm. why a lot of us, you know, we can nap them in a you know, a swing or a bassinet or something in the living room and vacuum around them and have the TV on and they're not even phased, right? As newborns. If you try that after once that regression is hit, it's not going to work. And that's because instead of just the three sleep cycles, now we have about five and the two that are added are light, right? So it, they go start when they first start sleeping, it's a light sleep cycle. And when they're 
ending their sleep session, it's a light sleep cycle. So if they're going to connect their naps and have these long naps or long night sessions, they have to now connect these light sleep cycles that they've never had to do before. So it can get really difficult for them to connect those together or even just fall asleep because they're used to just falling asleep so instantly. And now it's like they have to work at it or try. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, why can't I sleep too? (laughs) Why is it so hard for me? I just want to (laughs) rest. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What are some other things that change? Melatonin is a big component as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like as newborns. Yeah. So like neurologically, like the neurological development is like a pretty big one. And that's it. Melatonin production is up, you know, previous to this four months, very low, very, very low amounts of melatonin, right? Like just if any, right? That's what I was going to say. I didn't want to say nothing for sure, but like very, very low, if any, right? So and my understanding is that newborn babies actually get their melatonin from their mom's milk, their breast milk. So we're actually providing the melatonin production for them. And our milk hormones will naturally, you know, provide the most melatonin when it's needed based on the time of day and whatnot. Yeah, right. And then so... You know, once, so this is another reason too, while we kind of wait for this like four month regression before sometimes we want to start like implementing sleep training is because it's not until now that they're neurologically, you know, at a, at a, a point in their little tiny lives where they're able to like produce melatonin and now they're able to like, you know, connect their sleep cycles a little bit better, you know, there's more of them. And so they just kind of, they're kind of ready for these changes while all this stuff behind the scenes is going on, right? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Which is going back to that whole like living room nap scenario with melatonin. Well, melatonin is just, first of all, it's a sleep hormone that helps us fall asleep and stay asleep. So it is really important. And I think a lot of uh, us adults know about melatonin because of melatonin gummies and, you know, a lot of us use Mm -hmm. supplements to kind of help with sleep and whatnot. And often parents reach to melatonin for our kiddos as well. But taking melatonin as supplements can be definitely detrimental because it can impact your natural release of melatonin. So especially when it comes to our children, that's something we want to kind of refrain from using as a solution. First thing we want to do is make sure we're setting up the proper sleep environment and foundation. We're laying them down when they're ready for sleep, all those things before we start looking to that. But so with our natural release of melatonin as newborns, again, they're getting it all from us, right? Our moms mm-hmm. they're, or formula or whatever, right? They're getting it externally at that point. So they can nap in the light. You know, that doesn't really phase them, right? Because melatonin is produced by darkness. That darkness is what signals the release and the production of melatonin. So again, newborns aren't producing it. They don't need darkness. But once that four-month regression hits, which can happen, we should say, anytime between three and five months. I was going to So we that. kind of... Yeah, we kind of like to wait as sleep coaches until we are just very confident that at least they're old enough or the parents are very certain, you know, if they're only three months of age and they want to start, we've got to be really certain that that regression is hit because if they're not producing melatonin, they don't have all their sleep cycles, like developmentally, they're not there yet, then starting earlier than necessary, than when they are ready, if we start any earlier, it's not doing them any justice. You're not going to see the progress. It's just going to be more of a battle. It's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? This brings me to a client that I was just working with. I had um, an Ask Me Anything package a couple of days ago. And this is kind of one of the the situations, you know, and it's kind of sometimes it's hard as a sleep coach when you're like having this conversation. 
So, you know, their little person was only 14 weeks old and, you know, they're kind of frustrated because they started sleep training at like two and a half months and they, not through us, (laughs) like online and they were trying to do all all of these things and, you know, it just wasn't working. And then they're like, oh, we were finally seeing like consistency for like seven days. And then, you know, everything just kind of went sideways. And I was like, well, you know what? Your little person is only, you know, three and a half months. And like everything that you're describing right now, to me, is regression. (laughs) So, you know, all of those tricks that you were looking. Yeah. And so like all of those things that you were doing prior um, were working really well. And, you know, we just got to work through them through this regression, you know, to see the improvement on the other side. Mm And it's what's interesting, like my point, I guess, to this is, is that by not waiting that three and a half (laughs) months for the regression, you're not going to really see, see the, like the, the big chunks of sleeping or the consistency and sleep and like these more consistent sleep patterns with them being able to independently connect cycles, like on the other side. And you get really discouraged, you know, like, oh, I put all this work into sleep training and it's only kind of working 50%. But, you know, the reason is just like developmentally, you're not, you're not there. And sometimes as a sleep coach, having that conversation when, you know, people are (laughs) invested, you know, their money and reason and time into something to hear time like oh yeah they're just like oh really they're just this is what's <laughs> happening right now and I'm like yeah like so I shouldn't have done that yeah and, and it is tough and, and honestly I mean those those parents have the best of intentions in mind right like they're just doing their best for their baby and what they think right but really I, my suggestion is just to soak up the newborn phase. It's not easy. Don't like, I'm not saying it's a, every moment is a joyful one, but it, it, there's no need to put that undue pressure on yourself and your baby when it's just not realistic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So once that four month regression hit for your client and for anybody, that's when, you know, the laying down more awake and removing sleep props and the darkness is really important, right? Because again, going back to the melatonin, if we don't have a dark sleep space, then we're not giving them the best chance to create the most sleep hormones possible, right? 100%. Yeah. So (laughs) I guess there's kind of, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's funny how once you hit that, that regression, how much just darkening their sleep space alone can make uh, yeah. a significant difference. So yes, it's just so I funny, totally just that alone, you know, and you're like, all of a sudden, you're four months old, and you know, you're not sleeping, and then you black up curtains or tinfoil, whatever you're doing, yeah. and you're like, oh, shit, like, this actually works. Like, you know, yes, it's true. So. Whereas before it wasn't necessary. So it wouldn't maybe it helped a bit. And you notice they like a little bit of a longer nap in their crib versus the car seat or whatever the living yeah. room. But once they hit that four month regression, you'll notice a very big impact on that dark space and you know, continuing with white noise and providing that really great environment is going to be really important. So I think there's going to be a few different types of families that once they hit that regression, it's going to, you know, some babies are going to be, you know, they were sleeping great, waking up once, going down, like having a night feed, going back down, getting the 12 hours. And then there's other people we talk to that's like, we see every hour on the clock, you know, before the regression hit, we were struggling. Right. So how we approach that four month regression does differ a little bit on as to like how you're approaching sleep from the get go. Right. So talking about the clients you just spoke with, they were already, it sounds like at least, they were already doing a lot of the right things. So when they hit that regression, they're not completely changing how they're, 
reacting and how they're approaching their baby's sleep, they just need to stay consistent to get through this, you know, two week regression. 100%. Yeah. And I think too, that's like, anytime we hit a regression, we panic. <laughs> I mean, because it yes. is, it's, it's intense, you know what I mean? And like, I didn't find yeah. for me, I didn't find the four month regression that challenging. But you yeah. know, the later ones for sure. <laughs> but this one, you know, I kind of sailed through and I know for some people, this can actually be one of the most challenging over some others, right? And so it is interesting when you're saying the way that we kind of like approach the regression based on like how we were handling sleep training prior to, yeah. you know, like what, what was our approach? Do you follow week windows? Do you have a schedule? Are you consistent with sleep at all? And then kind right. of carrying that to the other side. So kind of forget my yeah. point, not to be perfectly honest. I think, <laughs> no, but I hear you. I think, I think a lot of people, <laughs> well, thing, right? every regression is going to hit every child differently, right? So you mentioned, you know, the four-month regression wasn't a big one for you. I noticed that the four-month regression was really big for my first child, but the eight-month wasn't. That one wasn't as huge. So, yeah. it, you know, every regression is going to hit a little bit differently, but it does depend on where you're starting from, right? So if they are, if you already have the appropriate wake windows, you're, you know, no sleep props are involved, you're already doing a lot of the right things and you're happy before this regression hits, then we're not overhauling and making a bunch of changes. I think what, like you said, a lot, a lot of people do is like, oh my gosh, we've had three horrible nights in a row where sleep was amazing last week. Like what's going on? So they start doing trial and error. Let's lengthen this window. Let's late, let's shorten this nap. Let's move up bedtime. Right. And that trial and error just causes more confusion for your child because they're going through something that is internal and truthfully you have no control over 100%. so it's not you <laughs> but everyone's like what did I do wrong right how can I fix this I did something differently but really it's not in your control for the mostly right so the best thing we can do as long as you're doing the right things initially is just stay consistent with those but you know a lot of the people that we talk to are not in that boat it's like I said they're seeing every hour on the clock or they're dealing with a million night feeds and you know they're they were struggling before this regression hit and now all of a sudden it's they're in the deep end with no life jacket right so when it comes to that, well, then we need to look at the basics again, you know, make sure that we are following the right wake window. So because we're talking about the four month regression at four months, our wake window is going to be about two hours on average. So yeah. if you're doing 90 minutes or two and a half hours or something, then obviously us changing that is going to help with the regression and not contribute to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's just being consistent overall, you know, consistency, yeah. consistency, consistency, double check your wake windows and be consistent when you're going through these regressions because it's so tough, right? If you're yeah. not, if you're not sleep training prior, or mm -hmm. so I, I shouldn't even say if you're not sleep training prior, but if you're not following any type of like schedule or routine or wake windows prior and then coming through the regression on the other side, it's so interesting to see the, like the joy and excitement from like parents, you know what I'm saying? When they're like, you know, we never, our Absolutely. baby was like, our, our baby was a dream baby in the first place. You know, I didn't have to follow a schedule. I didn't have to follow like any type of plan. They just kind of slept wherever they were like, you know, what we call the booze, a unicorn babe. And then they... Yeah, get hit by this four month regression. And then they're like, okay, something is wrong with my child. <laughs> and then <laughs> as, simple, as simple as just like highlighting those things that we mentioned of just like cleaning up wake windows and blackening the space. 
and then seeing them sleeping these longer chunks of sleep again and just like how possible it is just like in a couple of short weeks it's like super exciting to see whether actually whether you've done sleep training prior or or not and i guess it's not even really sleep training before yeah you're not really sleep training during the newborn phase but you know talking back about practicing our last podcast our last episode we were talking about the our bringing home baby newborn sleep guide that we have that's new and that's because there are a lot of things that we can do to set up that foundation in the newborn phase but by no means are we sleep training right going back we're very hands-on very supportive lots of contact naps things like that everything with safety in mind of course so you're not sleep training before four months however there are a lot of people babies that you know are sleeping very well like I said they're still they're able to sleep overnight my my children by three months were both sleeping either totally through the night or with one night feed you know at 5 a.m or something right so a lot of us going in with to the regression in that phase well at that point again we're just staying consistent right and you know again for me I had already we were already laying down awake right? A lot of parents are not laying down awake at that point. So if you're not, then that's kind of when we want to potentially start. Again, not everybody wants to formally sleep train. If you do, four months is when you can. Once this regression hits, that's when we can jump into sleep training if that's something you want to do. If not, focus on those basics, like we said, the blackout, the white noise, the environment, and the wake windows and, and making sure we're laying them down when they're ready, right? After that... It's up to you. It's totally your choice. Are we removing sleep props? Are we laying them down awake? Are you going to still feed them to sleep or rock them to sleep? You know, that's your choice. But I will say, you know, with the not laying down awake, often that's when, you know, if we're rocking them or feeding them to sleep, that's usually when they are, they do wake up more throughout the night simply because they need you to fall back asleep, right? And we yeah, all, they don't as know how. humans, no, we all wake up between two and six times. Now, that's just survival instinct, right? But we just do a quick environmental check, roll over, fall back asleep. Sometimes you don't even remember it happened. But for them, they're like alerted that you're gone. It's not just an environmental check because they realize their environment is different. They're not in the living room anymore. How'd I get in these clothes? Where'd my mom go? Where's that dude? You know? <laughs> so they're going to call for you to come and do it. And so they will be, you know, if they have a biological need, of course, we're always going to be there. You know, even sleep trained babies have biological needs, they get sick, they have poops overnight, and things happen, they get hungry. But if a sleep trained baby does not have a biological need, then generally, they'll just put themselves back to sleep without needing your help. No, like for sure. And that's one of the best tips, you know, that you can do from the very beginning, besides like, in my opinion, like, besides formulating a consistent bedtime routine would be practicing laying them down awake from the get go, right? And yeah, if they're premature, how does that work for sleep training? Like when, like, you know, you have experienced Georgia, she was early and, (laughs) you know, how, how does it work? You know, because some people do come to us, right? And they're like, you know, they're, they're, they're six months adjusted, they're four months adjusted, you know, what, what does yeah. that look like for them? Yeah, great question. So basically, with premature babies, we're going to go based on their adjusted date, right? So for example, my firstborn, she was 20, about 29 days early. So she was due April 14th and born March 16th. So we used her birth date of April 14th for wake windows and sleep training and, you know, all those kind of milestones and everything. But eventually they catch up, right? You know, she was she was still third percentile, like, until she was over a year old. Like, she never 
grew on that scale, you know, but she was always, they were never worried about it. So we were, you know, told we could drop night feeds about four months and all those things because she was still growing to her scale. But with that, you know, wake window wise and sleep training wise, I didn't start sleep training her until she was four months adjusted. Like, but again, like I said, I, I never really felt like I did any formal sleep training, from, you know, four months age, you jump into a three week program, that sort of thing. I never really had to do that. I just tra- sort of did read so many books that I, I felt like I had them under control before, right? They were sleeping through the night before the four month. Of course, we hit snags and we still have even last week, like we were supposed to record this like a week and a half ago or something. And of course, my kids <laughs> got sick. We'd like, like I said, on the last episode, they're just constantly sick. So they got sick. And uh, truthfully, last year, I don't know if it's the same in Calgary, but we had reading week. So Georgia, my oldest, didn't have kindergarten last week anyways. So, but with them being sick and being off school, like bedtime was later, they were sleeping in, they were coming to my room. I actually, for the first time in their lives last week, both of my girls, I woke up and both my kids were in my bed. And they've never done that in my, like two kids. I was like, what happened? What's happening? So that night I was like, I don't, I don't care if you're sick. Like we are, I am nipping this in the butt right now. Yeah. You're like, this Obviously isn't happening. They sick, but well, I don't yeah. mind. Like if you're sick, I'm fine. I'm happy to come and cuddle with you. And you know, like I, I don't want to do that every single day, but if you're sick, that's one thing or had a really bad dream or something like my kids are kind of in that. My oldest is so sensitive that she gets really scared of things and, you know she just misses us she's just a sensitive creature so we have to tread lightly if I just like kicked her out of my bed she would be heartbroken like (laughs) so anyways but even you know even last week I had to some people might call that sleep training because I had to kind of use a method and get them back in their beds and work at it for a couple nights to make sure they understood this is this is what we do right so yeah it's so funny it's so funny like all all of the differences too like one little thing can make, hey, you're like, you're sick. And you know, you're gonna get a lot of extra snuggles and cuddles. And then you're like, next thing you know, you got two kids sleeping in your bed. You know, it's just like, exactly. a one thing, like just snowballs. And then all of a sudden, you're like, okay, let's go back slope. to those basics that you potentially learned at four months, old, like at four months old, like I still yeah. do that. I mean, my kids two and a half. And I still like right now, we're kind of, you know, dealing with some sleep challenges, one being potty training. And so yes. he's waking up early at like 530 to go potty. He's like, I need to pee, I need to pee. And we go in and there's just like no getting him back to sleep. And like rightfully so, like he just slept for like 11 or 10 hours or 11 to 10 hours, 10, 11 hours. And then so we're like, okay, here we all are in my bed. Again, two dogs, husband, toddler. <laughs> this is great. How did we get here? <laughs> you know, and, then I'm done. <laughs> yeah, right? and so here I am, you know what I mean? And the exact same situation as you being like, okay, how do I, like, it's time to kind of practice. Okay, if you wake up to pee, it's time to go back to bed. Like all of these like similar approaches that you learn at this age at, at four months that you, you carry all yeah. the way to five years. George is going to be like six. But it's I true. Think. Them, yeah, she's turning six next month. Great. But even <laughs> with those, like in the end, no matter how, whether they're hitting the eight month regression, 18 month regression, three year regression, like no matter what, you're going back to basics, right? Yeah. It's all about that science of sleep and going back to like the main thing. So, yeah, I mean, what did I do to get them back in their bed? I used the kissing game. 
and then quick checks, you know, if they, yeah. and then when they woke up the next night and I saw Georgia at four in the morning beside my bed, I walked her back, you know, it was like, yeah. okay, we're not, we're not going to keep doing that. And just sort of, you know, stuck to my guns and stayed consistent. And they, you know, last night, finally, cause we had school today for the first day. I do just have to say, I'm very pleased to be home by myself right now <laughs> so, like, with my kids. <laughs> I was like, be gone. Shoot You're like, into the door. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, but it's time for you to leave now (laughs) you're not sick don't tell me you're sick you're going yeah exactly so but last night we were like okay we're going to bed early and they finally did like a 12 hour stretch on their own after for the first you know in five nights or something they finally did it again I'm like okay we're back but yeah (laughs) you gotta back every now and then (laughs) we'll see I'm hopeful yeah um so I did pull a couple of questions from our Wondering Wednesdays that were just really related to this. You already hit one about the premature and how we handle that. Um, here's another one. I'll ask you this one. How long should I leave a four-month-old baby or my four-month-old baby in their crib awake but not crying before intervening to help them fall asleep? How would you answer that? You know, a combination of a couple of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one, comfort level. It's not a straightforward answer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one, it's comfort level. It's It's – maybe a combination of three things, you know, a comfort level time that has gone on. And I guess maybe that's both of those things, probably like comfort level and time, like, you know, we say wait to three to five minutes, because that's how long it takes for you to like naturally adjust from like one sleep cycle to like another, right? Or, or fully wake up. Yeah, yeah, fully wake up. Sorry. And like, you want those three to five minutes to give them the opportunity to kind of put themselves down to sleep. Are they also happy Mm -hmm. in there? Did they never fall? Were they not falling? Were they not asleep in the first place? You know, there's so many. Yeah, is it bedtime or a nap time? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So also, like if they're awake and then they're happy and it's for a nap, I would say leave them in there for the whole hour, you know, leave them in yeah. there to let their body know that it's signaling them, let their body know. It's like you don't, you want to, if they're having a short nap and they're waking up from a short nap and they're happy, you want to leave them in their sleep space until your yes. projected end of nap time, right? You want, it's another t- not yeah. asleep, they're still resting. So there's that scenario. Yeah. Then the other scenario is, you know, are they were they previously asleep and now they're they're waking up early and they you don't want to rush in there and rob them the opportunity between falling asleep to the next sleep cycle. You know, there's that scenario. And then the third scenario I would say is crying. And then although this one there is no crying, anytime yeah. you feel uncomfortable or you want to intervene, go for it, you know? So those are kind of like the three yeah, things that stick gut. out for me. Those are the three big things. But I always would say just wait, give yourself three to five minutes. And then reassess the situation. Sorry. Yeah, that's it. What do you have anything to add to that? Like, you know, there are, like you said, there's no one correct answer. (laughs) No, it's true. Like, it really depends on the situation and whatnot, I think. Like you said, is it a nap? Is it 1 a.m.? Is it what? Right. What are we trying? What's our goal here? But let's say it's like the middle of the night. What I would say is like, you're right. It takes three to five minutes to either wake up fully wake up or transition to the next cycle. And 
babies, especially the age range we're talking, are such active sleepers that that transition to the next cycle might look and sound like they're fully awake. So pausing is super important just to not rob them of that opportunity, like you said. Um, but if they're not crying, I would pause and just wait until, until your comfort level. And then one thing I always do say is, you know, if we are working through quick checks or any type of sleep training method, if it's in the middle of the night, let's minimum your comfort level, right? Maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 45 minutes. You're going to have more stamina at 11 p.m. versus four in the morning. So when you have it, use it. But maximum in my mind is one hour because if we're, if they're up for hours and hours on end in the middle of the night, like they're going to be exhausted tomorrow. They're going to have sleep debt. We need to catch up on. They'll be overtired and we're shooting ourselves in the foot with naps. Like if they're putting, going, putting them down for a nap and they're not falling asleep, then let's take a break. You know, after 30 minutes of trying, let's take a break and try again after 10 or 20 minutes when they're seem more calm and ready for sleep. Right. So yeah, I think there's a lot of com- conversations we could have about this one question. Cause like the scenarios are endless, but <laughs> yeah, sure. uh, in terms of naps, I mean, you talked about the crib hour and things like that. So, you know, if that's something you want to learn more about, make sure you listen to episode three. Cause we talk a lot about the different um, methods to lengthening naps and resolving short naps. So if you're wondering what the crib hour is, you will learn all about it there. Um, I got one one more question. Transitioning from swaddles to sleep sacks with active sleeping babies. I love how Wondering Wednesday, like they're never actually like, questions. Like there's no question mark there. That's a no. statement. But again, all babies are pretty active sleepers at this age, right? So yeah. one thing we haven't said, maybe we said this in the last episode, I can't remember. But when, first of all, like when do we transition from a swaddle to a sleep sack? Sterling, I'll let you answer that. <laughs> when they rolled over, first of all, if they're starting to roll over, it's time to ditch the swaddle because it's just not safe. Or the second, yeah, or age. So it's kind of whichever ones come first, which is 12 weeks, 12 to 14 weeks ish yeah. to rolling over. I usually, whichever, yes. whichever one it comes first, it's kind of not. Yeah. Like it's not, you know, they're four, they're they're twelve weeks and they're not rolling over. I would still at twelve to fourteen. Like you know, we're gonna switch. we're gonna switch yeah. them into a sleep sack, and you want to keep them in that That's sleep right. sack for as long as you can. <laughs> That's right. I recently age-wise, found age-wise, a company. Not time wise, age wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> forever they live in it. But it's true. I found Woolino is a company that makes them up to four years of age. So sleep ah. socks. Yeah, so I reached out to them. I will mention my discount code is counting sheep ten. <laughs> you can get 10% off. But honestly, it's only because I, I had to do some research to find a company that would do big enough sleep sacks because so many people were not, you know, you have a tall two-year-old and they're growing out of the 36-month size sleepers, you know, and mm-hmm. they're just way too young to be able to replace a blanket. And the sleep sack really helps with crib climbing and, you know, just limiting that mobility a little bit. So um, definitely keep that sleep sack as long as possible. But yes, I agree. Swaddles, we want to switch them at 12 weeks or when they start showing signs of rolling, whichever happens first. And my recommendation, because swaddles are, you know, very easy to break out of for these really active sleepers. So the Velcro ones to me are the most 
foolproof. You can do them nice and tight and they're not going to get their arms out quite as easily. Um, and then once we've transitioned to an actual sleep sack, if you do, if you're concerned, because it can be kind of a scary transition because that Moro reflex, that startle reflex that's still there, it's their arms. When we put them down, it gives them that feeling of falling and makes their arms kind of flail <laughs> yeah. or things. So if that's still really active in your baby, then it, it may be a little bit scary to transition to their arms out in a sleep sack. So go with a transition sack where you can have their arms in, but it gives them more mobility and motion with their arms. So they're so they can get used to that. Yeah. And that was one of the things too, when people are like, when is a good time? When is a good time? And how it is one or the other. If you're little, and this is just my you know, from my experience is that if your little one is so dependent on being swaddled, maybe at that 12 um, week mark before they start rolling, it is a good idea to start transitioning. That way it's not as, you know, a, a big shift for them to one day be in the swaddle and then not be in the swaddle because, you know, when it comes yeah. to safety at rolling over, it's just like a hard no. Yes, but when exactly. you're in the swaddle and you know, 12 weeks, you can slowly start breaking them free one arm at a time, you know, yeah. or to a different type of uh, sleep sack so or a swaddle, you know, what's the one where you like zip your arms in all the way? Do you remember? The zippity that? D. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it looks like a little bat suit. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Then you can take one arm off. And, yeah. And something like a normal that. Sleep sack. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of like a good idea if you're like stressed about like what that transition looks like, just kind of being a little bit proactive about it. Yeah. Just take it more slowly. Um, With that moral reflex, one thing, one tip I always say is don't lay them down right onto their back when you're transit, especially if they're newborns and you've rocked them to sleep. Like that's going to wake them up if you go right to their back. When you lay them down in the bassinet or the crib, go either um, bum first or toes first, actually, or side. Some people do side. It's just whatever's more natural for you. I usually did toes, but back head sort of thing <laughs> but I'm also like almost 5'11 so if you're like five foot tall that might be hard you know it's harder for some people you just do what you can do but try not to lay them right onto their back because sometimes that gives them that feeling of falling and signals that moral reflex I found for me the biggest contributing factor to the four-month regression and the hardest part was the rolling Mm-hmm. So we had a solid like three days with my first baby. Again, I was not certified till my second born was like six or seven months old. So I went through sleep training and all of that before my certification with my own kids, just for the record. <laughs> so <laughs> when Georgia started rolling, I didn't know what the hell to do. I was just like, oh my God, I was up a hundred times a night rolling her to her back because I was so panicked, right? And she was still in a bassinet in my room and the bassinet is small, right? And so she would roll into the side of the bassinet and everybody would be waking and all this. So after a few days of this, I did started doing re- some research. I moved her to her own room because I'm just out of necessity. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And out of the, you know, she's out of the swaddle at that point into the crib, which is much bigger. So she had more space. And after that, she became a tummy sleeper. So she was rolling all on her own, obviously, and could roll both directions. So I knew, you know, and this is kind of the the necessity is that they need to be able to roll both directions, tummy to back and back to tummy in order to feel like we know they're safe enough and strong enough to have that neck control to sleep on their tummy. And my baby had that. So I felt like, okay, she's strong enough. And she was very strong, although little, tiny, but mighty. And, you know, she started, she was walking at 10 months. Like she was, oh my gosh, girl. Yeah, she was, she was ahead, but also premature and behind in other ways. Right. So, I mean, she's still small. She's smaller. She weighs less than her younger sister. So, (laughs) 
She's just a tiny one. <laughs> share clothes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyways, I just eventually, you know, after doing a lot of research, and this is what I would recommend to you too, as long as your baby is rolling both directions and you feel comfortable, that's the biggest thing. You know, if you're not comfortable or you've had, you know, friends or experiences of SIDS or something, like, please just trust your gut. But if they are capable of rolling both directions, then technically they're strong enough to sleep in whatever position they want to. So yeah. both my kids were tummy sleepers at four months basically yeah and it's just kind of weird too when you're seeing it for the first time you're like are you okay in oh, yeah. there let me look at your <laughs> yeah. face well and they like, <laughs> like is your face okay are you breathing into the the mattress or how yes. are you doing but there's so much fear like well, not like fear but like you know insecurity at that age when you're just scary. like you know like what's going on with you but yeah well, I'm, like our only job is to keep them alive <laughs> you know? exactly so you one job, job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah for me but, I was, let's just say oh yeah go ahead no I was just gonna say you know for me too like moving uh, my little guy and like I don't recommend you doing this either unless you know exactly your comfort level you're cleared with like all these mm-hmm. other milestones of moving my little guy into his own sleep space at five months when uh, yeah. he yeah he did much better and there he started waking a lot and stirring a lot at night like mm-hmm. and we were like time for you to go and he same thing he was he's back to belly all the time now but at the time he was a very yeah. much a belly sleeper too but he would roll over and I think he would get freaked out and then I would freak out and kind of like yes. intervene. And then I think kind of similar to you where, you know, once I could confidently say that he was like, okay, like rolling or I was okay with him rolling. And then we moved him. It was so much better, you know, so much better for him it's and true. me. And he was a fine little tummy sleeper. <laughs> yeah. But it can be really anxiety ridden for a lot of people. Right. Oh my and gosh, so yes. my, my, Suggestion to those people who their baby's rolling, but they're not comfortable with them on their back or on their tummy, sorry, then what I would do is, you know, depending on whether they're sleep trained or not, if you're rocking them to sleep, then just lay them down on their back. But if they're, you're putting them down awake and they're rolling and falling asleep on their tummy and you're anxious about that, then wait 10 to 20 minutes. So the first 10 minutes is that light sleep cycle we talked about. The second set of 10 to 20 of 10 minutes. So between 10 and 20, if that makes sense, is light, <laughs> is a darker or sorry, a deeper sleep cycle. So you'll have the deepest during their 30 to 45 minute. So you'll have the most success going in there if you're wanting to roll them during that 10 to 20 minute range. So maybe 15 minutes of sleep, go in and then flip them just so that you can sleep with ease, right? And one big thing too Um, that I should mention too is practicing rolling with them during the day. It's kind of like a really good thing to do like during your tummy time and your awake time, just showing them, you know, kind of when you fall on your, like sometimes, you know, they're up on tummy time and they have their little arms holding yeah. them and then they just like bloop, fall on their face, just kind of showing them and helping them kind of get in and out of that situation. Knock them over a few times, see, you know, yeah. <laughs> see if they can get out it's of it. <laughs> Lots yeah, of practice. Definitely, definitely. Lots of practice. Yeah. And I I posted a reel this morning about during the eight to 10 month regression, standing is a big one. But the rolling during the four month regression, we kind of have a similar approach. So let's say it's one in the morning, baby wakes up, he's on his tummy and comfort him in that position. 
you know, show them that it's okay. We don't want them to feel panicked in their t- on their tummy, right? So show them it's okay. You can find comfort here. Mama's here. You're okay here. I'm not immediately fixing the problem. And then after a few minutes, maybe when they're more calm or maybe they start to get more frustrated, then we'll flip them back, right? But we don't want to just yeah. get in there and immediately flip them over. That's what I did. <laughs> like I said, I was in there a hundred <laughs> times a night flipping her over because she, and I feel, you know, they start to recognize if I rolled in my tummy, mom's going to come in and save me. So why stop? Right. Or maybe I should keep doing it. So I get to see mom even. Right. So as soon as I stopped doing rolling, she stopped rolling kind of right. Or she would find comfort there. So that's what I recommend. If you're not comfortable with them sleeping on their tummy or you are, if they roll there, go and comfort them there before you switch to like roll them over right away. Give them, let them know that you you're okay to be here if you want to be. So let's just mention what other regressions we can expect. So after the four-month regression, the next one is not as well talked about just because it's not every baby doesn't hit one but you might see a regression around that six month mark and I'll just say that's generally just because that's when separation anxiety starts to develop so you might just notice like not necessarily a huge sleep regression but just a generally fussier baby really clingy they start to recognize distance a little more so like oh you go to heat up your coffee in the kitchen and leave them on tummy time how dare you (laughs) how dare you leave me (laughs) I find this one a little hard (laughs) yeah they are like you betrayed me (laughs) but I do find this this regression like if it does happen it's just kind of like goes a little unnoticed sometime because it's not like marked as like a bigger one like the four month or like the eight to ten the eight to ten for me was like a doozy but that's kind of like another one so there's four sometimes six eight to ten we have a good blog a good blog about that on the website Yes, we do. And sometimes 12 months, again, the separation anxiety just tends to be a little bit higher at this point. Also, at least here in Canada, a lot of moms are going back to work from maternity leave. And that's like a big change in schedule and time with parents and things, right? And then like you said, 18 to 24 months, somewhere in there will experience a regression as well. And we're working on a blog for that one currently. So we'll have a little more info for you at some point here. Yeah, we'll have Um, to do an episode on the 18 to 24 regression to well probably all of them at some point I'm sure but that was a good one because what I didn't realize is that it can happen multiple times the regression can come and go it could be 18 and 24 24, (laughs) that's a a good one that's a doozy that's a doozy one too but yeah those are the the big ones yeah four sometimes six eight to ten sometimes twelve eighteen to twenty four Yeah. And as regressions go, you know, the sometimes six and 12 months, those ones will probably be a little shorter, maybe a week or two. But the bigger regressions, you can expect two to four weeks. Fours is a little bit long. If you're hitting the four plus weeks mark, most likely the regression's over, but you've just created some new habits, which happens a lot. So often we're getting those phone calls from parents when during a regression or after a regression should be over. And it's like, well, we weren't consistent to the right things or maybe introduce something, whether it was intentional or not. It's very easy during a regression to introduce new habits unintentionally. So I think my overall, like kind of wrapping up, it's, you know, just know that you're not alone. We are all as parents going to experience up and downs with our baby's growth and their sleep, right? Sleep is not linear and just they go through so much change in the first few 
years of their lives that we, you know, it's understandable that developmentally while they're going through these changes, that they're going to need a little bit more support from us and that we will need to change our ways as they change as well, right? So each regression, like I said, you know, maybe two to three weeks on average and know that it's just a phase. It will end. This is not your life forever. But if it's going on for longer and it does feel like this is your new normal, book a, book a free call. Let's chat. Like we are here to help and want nothing more than for you to get the sleep that you need and for your babies to get that too so that they can, you know, grow and learn effectively. Yeah. And like, you know, when, when they're lasting that long at four weeks, like, like a whole month has gone by and sometimes it can just be something as simple as like wake windows or, you know, plus those yes. habits that they developed. But yeah, yeah, just to kind of add with like, as we wrap up here to add with what you're saying, you know, whatever you kind of decide of your approaches, like when you hit a regression, 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 regression is just being as consistent as you possibly can during those weeks, you know, whatever your approach is, and whatever your schedule and routine is, be consistent with that. And um, try not to pick up any habits that you personally don't want to keep at the other side of it, you know, that's going to impair their their sleep habits. Yeah. And we keep saying, you know, be consistent to the right things and all that. Well, if you're unsure what the the right things are or what your wake window should be or anything, like I said, we're here to help. We have a free consultation for a reason. So um, I'll remind you our Instagram is at Counting Sheep with Jane and our website is www.countingsheepconsulting.com. So you can book a free call there. And yeah, it's Monday today. So a couple days we'll do a Wondering Wednesday and we've been getting a lot of questions. So yeah, we look forward to seeing other topics that you guys want us to talk about. And I'm not sure what we're going to do our next episode on, but in a couple of weeks, we will be back to give you lots more sleep tips. So enjoy the rest of your day, everybody. Thanks for your time, Sterling. Always a pleasure. Yeah, I love being here. I love it. I like figuring <laughs> this out with you. I like I like going through technology with you. <laughs> I know. Our biggest struggle with this podcast is the tech. So we're, we're not techie. Anyways, thanks, y'all. Have a great day. Sleep tight. <laughs>